Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Watari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man whose violin plays ominous organ music for some reason. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I wired it that way. It's called circuit bending. You want to? Oh, okay. That. I'm sorry. I did. I didn't realize you took like a like a playtel machine, and like now now it fucking <laughs> plays like cra- like screechy rock. Um, <laughs> Cool. That's 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 all. Circuit I've, I've watched a you lot broke, of. Sur- you broke this. I've, I've watched a lot this. of a lot of YouTube circuit bending videos. Believe it or not, never had I, any uh, real interest in doing it. I just find yeah. it because the people who are doing it are just so delightfully into it. Yeah. I, I had uh, a former coworker who was real, real into it, and uh, and he makes some phenomenal music, but it is all very much harsh noise. Uh, yeah, no, it is yeah, still absolutely. within. It is still within the realm of harsh noise that I can appreciate what it is. Right. Uh, my uh, my band being what it is, an improvisational rock band whose bass player is a Super Nintendo, we have shared the bill with a lot of harsh noise right, bands right. over the years because what else are they going to put us on right, the bill right. with? Well, I mean, and, presumably uh, someday William Shatner <laughs> or his corpse. Yes. yes. Yes, the corpse of William Shatner. <laughs> anyway, uh, but because of that, I have a lot of experience with with I, weird I noise find bands. It, I do not enjoy and, the music. Uh, I do not. Whenever we get to the music part, I stop watching. Yeah. Actually, I mostly watch the ones about uh, video circuit bending. Honestly, because I have a oh, secret. I have a. I have too. a secret. It's not really a secret. It's just a impossible obsession with video synths, like analog yeah. video synths. But any given analog video synth system, because there's only a few, like one, there's essentially one or two real manufacturers of them, and everybody else is just circuit bending. I find the stuff produced by circuit bending of it interesting, but not what I want to do. Because what I really want is I want to buy a video synth so I can make essentially 80s TV. You know what I mean? I want to I want to buy a yeah. proper video synth, and those things are like you're going to spend two thousand dollars, like just for the base system right just and just flat out lay it out what i want to be able to do is make bad public broadcast 80s tv where the like you know all the graphics are video synth in and moved around on screen and do the uh, eh. it's never going to happen because i don't have two thousand dollars just like laying around and i'm certainly not if i did have two thousand dollars laying around i have better more useful things as a as a father and a husband to spend my money on than buying me a ridiculous right, right, video right. system that I would then probably use like once a week or once a month and have to find a place for it in my house. Yeah. Uh, so that I want I, I, I just want to be clear because I, I don't, I don't want to feel bad about this in an hour. I enjoy the enthusiasm people have for circuit bending. Oh yeah. Totally. Toys. Absolutely. I, I love that they do it. I love that they can do it. I am incredibly impressed Absolutely, at totally. what is capable of it. The music that is made with them, I don't want to listen to. Yeah, that's generally by and that's why like by and large. The video the video thing is is a little bit different. I actually enjoy the video visualizations that come out of it. But my problem mm-hmm. is always that like my issue becomes like I don't know that that's what I want to produce. Yeah. And then also like I don't know like what I would use it for because I'm not going to become like the circuit bending video synth guy for some band, which is essentially what where most of this seems to go, is people being like, all right, well, now I've got this thing. I can visualize music with it and things like that. And so, well, that's not where I'm headed with this. I want to make 80s TV, damn it. 
Uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but yeah, so let's that we can move on from this. Uh, I want to tell you the other uh, intro I had in mind. The other Please. intro was going to be uh, a man who killed a yeti for his house coat. <laughs> Uh, now, technically, the movie is very explicit that they're feathers, but I could not not see an abominable snowman. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can get access to bonus episodes. We do non-criterion films over there, and supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. I put together a list over there, unless our supporters suggest one, because I'm always happy to take suggestions. Uh, but yeah, it's four films, and then the fifth film of every option, the, the escape key, in case it's a bad list, is... Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, we really need to watch I it like again. To use that, it's time. Right. I like to use that as our escape pod because it means I have utterly failed at right, putting together right. a list if if they decide to See, vote I'm way. worried and that they don't like the escape twice. pod so they never use it when they should. Right, right. Like right. It's such a bad and stinky, uncomfortable escape pod that they don't... You want to use it. <laughs> that, that they'd rather die. <laughs> right. It's like, we're going down with this ship. I am not getting on that thing again. Oh, man. This is a terrible metaphor, and I hate it. Um, but, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, they have voted for Kazam twice right. uh, over the course of— And they've learned uh, their lesson. So, And they've apparently learned their lesson. Uh, but, yeah. Um, that's all for just a dollar. And there's 50 bonus episodes over there now because we've been doing it for a few years now. Um, you could listen to a one little extra a week you for an entire year. Well, almost. I mean, take a, take a week off, okay? Quite. Take two weeks off, please. Yeah. Uh, By the time you hear this, you'll be even closer. Probably. Yeah. I don't do math so good. Probably. Like I said, that is $1 a month uh, for a little extra for those who uh, who want to wanna help us a little bit, but not too much. Um, you know, it's still... Everybody's got their own financial constraints. I'm not. I don't pretend that's not true. Um, but for uh, for five dollars, we'd like to thank those people on air, and uh, and they really help us a lot. We have three five dollars supporters right now: uh, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, and Chris Otto. Uh, and so happy to have them. A little above that, we have something that I think is really special. Pat makes a uh, piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard, then write a little personalized thank you note and send it off to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, Patrick Yago, and Adam Speakerman, our $10 and above supporters yes. right now. Thank you to all supporters. Uh, we appreciate it. All We appreciate yes. all of you. And appreciate anyone who's just listening. Yeah, I consider that being a supporter support us, as well. Yeah. As I, uh, I understand that as well. Uh, if you want to see the postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion and check them out there. Uh, they are put up on a bit of a delay because I want our supporters to be able to see and enjoy uh, theirs uh, before the general public can see them. Uh, 
mostly I just want to make sure they've received them before right. <laughs> before I put them up online. Uh, just so, you know, it's a surprise in the mail, right? Uh, but yeah, you can also uh, not only check out the back catalog of the postcards, but buy them if you see one that you like or if you're a supporter who got one that you really like and would love to uh, have an extra copy of. Mail them to your grandma uh, for Christmas, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Some great Christmas cards in those sets. Um, yeah, for real. For real. Uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to support us. And we are so grateful to those who do and those who listen. This week, we are talking about last year at Marion Bad. Uh, that is the title that uh, Criterion put it out under, I believe. Maybe I'm I, wrong I that, love actually. Criterion's complete unwillingness to commit to one methodology for naming their movies. Right. It's, it's hilarious, frankly. It really is. I, it, it, it's just um, it, it gets funnier and funnier every release. Yeah. Because last you year, never know. You just never know. Yeah. Last year at is the US title. Yes. Uh last year in Marion Bad is the UK title. At is what Criterion uses. Uh but generally this is a movie still known by its French title. Lanier Denier à Marion Bad. And Criterion has frequently handed us untranslated yeah, French titles. I don't know. Even man. long ones. Yeah, and, and it uh, doesn't relate to whether or not it has an Amer- an official American like release <laughs> title because that it's it's purely haphazard. Uh yeah. Like what I find fascinating about this one, uh especially is that I I had to rent it on Amazon and as far as I can tell, the there are two separate mutually exclusive releases on Amazon. One is the one I watched, which is the 4K transfer that is probably the same thing that the Criterion Collection has because it's a Studio Canal yeah. release, uh, right. which is French with English subtitles. I didn't explore too deeply, but as far as I, but that one is named Last Year at Marienbad or in Mar- whichever the at I think right right and and is and is rentable is uh no 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 it's it the opposite purchasable. it's purchasable i bought for yeah. 4.99 i bought an hd version of this movie which i now own yeah well own as far yeah. as amazon will let you own anything um, <laughs> right 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 and then but the flip side is you search for it you get a di- you can also get the other one which is french titled but the audio and the subtitles are both in english because <laughs> why the and that one's too. rentable it is why the fuck not i guess is there they're they're yeah. they're I I it yeah so the French title English with English yeah. subtitles English title I also French found, English, I know it doesn't make any sense I also found a third a third listing on Amazon under the English title that just told me it was not available in my region so right <laughs> lovely even though you're on American Amazon in America it doesn't yeah. make any like ah yeah. good old Amazon yeah uh so it's all it's all very well. Weird. Yeah. So now I can watch um, this movie yeah. anytime I want and just be kind of right. confused. <laughs> like, well, the more the the more you watch it, the less confused. I you'll don't be, believe presumably. that's true. Uh, like if I'm being honest, <laughs> that's probably so, like, fair. There's 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 movies with logical sort of um, linear progression that are confusing yeah. in sort of their plot, wherein you can watch them more than once and be like, oh, now I understand what's happening here because now I have information I didn't have access to at the beginning. This is not one of those movies. Right. You gain no right. reliable narrator information at any point in the movie that would firm up 
your understanding of any other part of the movie. You get the themes better, maybe, because you see how they sort of evolve over time. So that's cool. You know, you would you like some of that narration at the beginning would make more sense in a sort of thematic sense. Uh, but you're not gonna like know what happened in the story because that's not a thing you're supposed to know. I suppose. Right. So this this one it is directed by Alain Rene. Um, Resnes, you know. I have no idea. The, the s's, the s's are not pronounced in French. I think traditionally I have said his name Resne, uh, but I don't think either s should be pronounced. Uh, anyway, um, we've seen a couple movies from him, uh, including uh, our first experience with him. We we were not super impressed yeah, with Hiroshima uh, Monomore, right? Uh, Hiroshima Monomore. Uh, our second experience with him was the short documentary uh, Night and Fog, which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and well, <laughs> I mean, Hiroshima Monomore, if we uh, revisited it, I'm sure we would we sure. have a better appreciation for technical skill than we used to. I don't remember it being a badly shot movie or anything like that. I was annoyed by the premise more than anything else. Right, uh, right, right, right. And then, but then again, my experience and relationship with France as it relates to Japan in and around that era is just one of general annoyance. <laughs> Like, right, like I can't right. get over it. Even if a director or somebody has the best intentions in mind, it's it just eats at me and it, it bothers me. So, um, but this is a very different movie than either of those things. Right, right, right. One hundred percent. Which I guess is cool. Are, He's got amazing range, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Those are the only two Rene films we've seen so far, and I think there's only one more in the Criterion Collection right I now. I would, yeah, um, yeah. I, I looked through the list, and I didn't recognize any much else yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, most notably, I think probably, is that this screenplay is by author Alain Robe Goulet. Uh, and Robe Goulet was the forefront of a... Uh, mid-century French movement in writing of the Nouveau Roman, which is the new novel in French. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, apparently Roman is the French yeah, word for not? novel why, for whatever reason. Why not? Uh, but, but yeah. Um, and the idea of the Nouveau, uh, Nouveau Roman to, to not get too deeply into literary theory... The basic idea of Nouveau Roman is that it emphasizes uh, story development through description of uh, of uh, scene and setting and uh, material more than through characterization or dialogue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and we can see that in the film, though I think... I think the nature of a film uh, undermines what Nouveau Roman is trying to do because you are actually showing these things instead of describing these things, right? Well, right, but um, that, I mean, that's, that's I mean, you're, yes, but that's... The relationship of any of written, all written, written word, word to, to film, film. yeah. Certainly. I mean, the biggest difference is, is I, what I would say is, unlike uh, some other forms of written versus film uh, presentation... The advantage is, is you can in film just sew scenes of the scenery. 
like as this movie right, does. Right, right, like, right. You know what I mean? There's other things that there's other styles of writing that don't translate at all because, you know, for example, internal monologue is not generally a thing in film. It's not impossible, but you're automatically going to accidentally make a detective noir no matter how hard you try. Um, <laughs> right, right. But like they he does do that. I mean, he gets as close as I suppose this based just what I what I understand from reading the Wikipedia and stuff. He gets as close to this style as you could probably get in a film by right. just essentially taking you on weird sort of tours of the scenery yeah. and then like pausing the char- literally pausing the characters to like let you just yeah. absorb the scene, quote unquote. And I and I do love. I do I love I am a, a huge fan of faked bullet time is the best thing that yeah. has ever happened in a, a movie. A camera steadily panning through oh, I love it. a bunch of stationary actors. I always love. Oh, it's I always really amazing. Do. No, I love it. Uh, I I yeah. especially love that like it is fascinating. This is always just a really fascinating technique because like you can't you get it and you feel it, but you can also see them twitching and moving and it's so beautiful. Right. I love there's, it so much. There's a moment around the twenty minute mark where we're panning across some people at the bar. And a woman looking directly toward the camera blinks as she center right. screen. Yeah. And it's helped. almost like it has to be on purpose. It might be. It uh, might legitimately but, be on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just a very fascinating but, yeah. technique that I I yeah. it's it's the it is not to say this movie's bad, but like or anything like that, but th- it's the best part of this movie. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just an amazing experience to just watch it because he does it right. so much, but every time yeah. he does it, it's a little treat that like doesn't get old. So, it just doesn't get boring to watch. An interesting aspect of Robert Grillet's screenplay here is that he wrote everything. He had camera directions. He had descriptions of uh, of where the camera should be looking, when you know what should be on frame, staging, um, that sort of thing, uh, in the screenplay. Um, and Rene is said to have uh, been pretty. Uh, pretty uh keyed into the screenplay and not pretty had a lot of fidelity to it that's the the word i'm looking for um but at the same time he did make some changes uh for instance according to uh the uh the criterion essay accompanying this Here's here's the the paragraph. I'll quote one thing that can't have pleased Rabbi Grillet much, given his avowed penance for S and M, is Resnay's use of silent film conventions to deflate what had been scripted as a brutal rape fantasy into something both comically and appealingly mannered. Uh, I don't know that it actually achieves uh, comically and appealingly. No, mannered no, either. And you get but... it. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I read it uh, the the sort of Wikipedia synopsis of the same of the same thing, and yeah. it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, I it would, it, it, you know, we we've we've had this conversation a lot in this podcast yeah. about whether or not that's the sort of thing you need to put in your movie or not, but yeah um recently too um but yeah renee renee seems to have uh the screenplay was much more um i'll say drama oriented uh renee seems to have encouraged his actors to play this as they would a silent film um so everything's a little exaggerated uh in their acting 
Um, right. It's not. It's which, not. Ter- it's not like it's not full on silent movie. Right. 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 It's not. Levels, it's not. But he's, yeah, it's he's a leaning exactly. a little that way, but he's not. Um, and I think I think to to the credit of the director, that gives this even more of a dreamy, right? Weirdness right. Yeah. Absolutely. Then, especially when you then consi- would have achieved elsewhere. Especially when you consider the fact that it's really. We essentially only have the real three real actors, like the three. Right, right, right. And they're overplaying it, but nearly everyone is a borderline still image. So, like, they don't have big reactions and big motions. So, right. it, it creates this really fascinating dichotomy between our actual actors who are, you know, in there to kind of move the story along versus all of our sort of essentially scenery actors uh, who right. are, have almost no physical, physical expression yeah. at all. To- to the Novo Roman credit of this movie, the majority of people in this movie are set dressing. Right, exactly. So, and and uh, you know, up yeah. to and including the point where there is an actual cardboard cutout of Alfred Hitchcock that can be seen at like the eleven and a half minute mark, <laughs> prominently stage right uh, or frame right in the screen. Um, it's yeah, I mean, and that it's his own little joke about this movie being a mystery too, right? It's not Hitchcockian. Really, no, uh, and and, but... and it's it's really, it's a it's a yeah. I mean, it's a mystery in a in a sort of surrealist sense, right? Like, right. At some point, you yeah. as the audience also have to commit to the fact that like you've gone sort of full Rashomon, and you're not going to know anything about anything, like really, right? Um, right. If, if Rashomon were not were not rational, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. There is, uh, there is apparently, uh, when this movie came out, quite a bit of controversy, uh, just because there is no solid plot, right? Uh, and certainly, but, yeah, I mean, if there is one, we'll, we, you, the audience, are not pr- uh, privy to yeah. it, right? As as still occurs in film, uh, film uh, media today, uh, both the writer and the screen, <laughs> the, the screenwriter and the director were asked uh, if the two had actually met in Mary and Bad the year before. And they both, they gave contradictory answers. Uh, according to one bit of trivia I found, this led to a joke in France in the 50s that I would like to tell. Okay. Uh, a man is accused of murder and put on trial. Well, he says, I have an alibi. At the time of the murder it happened, I was in the cinema. What film did you see? Asked the judge. Last year at Marienbad, the defendant replies. Well, says the judge, tell us what happens in the film. The man was convicted. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> very good. Um, I mean, you could, uh, yeah, that is, this is a very good joke. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, well, the fascinating thing is, is the answer to the question is, no, they didn't meet in Marienbad because the film was never shot in Marienbad, never went to Marienbad, <laughs> never had anything to do with Marienbad. That's so fair. to be That's fair, fair, the answer is no. They didn't meet Mary yeah. Beth. Well, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be uh, a pedant to the meta, I am going to be pedantic about it because <laughs> if if the if the movie itself provides no answers <laughs> to a question, <laughs> I guess then that leaves you only yeah. one thing left, which is the meta the meta uh, right. narrative. Right. So the film the film was not filmed in Mary Beth. It was filmed. Uh, at a series of castles around Europe uh, and stitched together to give it an ethereal uh, geometry right, right. to the interior of the building 
uh, and how it relates to uh, to the The exterior. funny thing about that is the fact that given the nature of Baroque architecture, if they hadn't done that, it would still be completely incomprehensible. <laughs> right? That's fair. That's fair. The way the way Baroque buildings relate to themselves is uh, is kind of weird to begin with. Yeah, I mean, and then um, given the nature of the decorations, any given corner of the room will look like a completely different room than the other corner of the right, room. Right. You'll never know where you are in place or you know in place. So like you could right. shoot it all in one palace and be like, yeah, well, this also this building has seven hundred fifty rooms. So as long as we keep changing rooms in the same palace. I really feel like this is just an excuse for Renee to like go to a bunch of different palaces like for holiday. Yeah. This is some yeah. Adam Sandler shit here right now. Like, oh, we're going to make a movie in Hawaii because I want to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, from, from that etheralness in set achieved here by just combining a bunch of different castles together, uh, we can see the clear influence on, say, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and the way that set is actually built to be incomprehensible. Right. Um, and, you know, there's obviously... We talked a little last week because uh, the Bergman documentary, in talking about Persona, made reference to this film, but it is obviously very clear <laughs> from the way this is shot and the way it moves through hallways that it had... a. A distinct effect on persona yeah yeah uh, for sure least, and and probably on the silence as well um, i mean i you know yeah it's really fascinating like in in sort of retrospect to think about that because you see the sort of like s- sort of storytelling sort of effect and that sort of uh but like you know the the two directors just operating stylistically completely differently in many ways sort of engaging with the same sort of concepts is really fascinating um, right, right. Because yeah. this is very different than a. Uh, well, this is very different than anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's also true. I mean, I mean, this and Persona are both sort of the uh, the stereotypical pinnacle of French art or European art film, right. as far as American wide audiences are concerned. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if you if ask a friend to watch, if you're going to have a comedy parody of of. Uh, European art film, it's going to reference either this or persona or this through persona. Right. Um, I mean, which just to say, I'm glad I didn't watch this 300 episodes ago or something like that. Like <laughs> right, I wasn't, right, I was right, not ready right. for this at the beginning. I think of we're this probably, project. yeah, we are probably in a, uh, in a better position to appreciate this film than we would have been much earlier in yeah, the criterion collection. For sure. Um, so, so there's that at least. If we had watched this, imagine if we had watched this right at the gate. If this oh was my number God. one, and we're like, uh, oh no, what man. have we done? <laughs> yeah, might have quit. Um, no, we we didn't quit when they gave us uh, Salo in the first. Yeah, I mean, we didn't quit with a lot of really rough shit there at yeah. the beginning. So, no, yeah. it's just it's fascinating because I mean, I can't I can't escape that thing though. Even then, it still exists in my head that this is a this is in. It's interesting, but it's also very much up its own ass. Like, very, very <laughs> deeply up its own ass. Like, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing. You know, I mean, I watched it. I I, I was engaged by it. Like, I thought I thought the story, the air quote storytelling was really fascinating to watch and try to, like, sort of, like, your console. It's like, I don't know how you would describe this sort of mystery. It's not a mystery in that, like, I don't care what happened, really. 
Right. Because you get pretty early on realize, like, oh, that's not the point, really. But because it is, by its nature, sort of a puzzle box, as they describe it in, I think, the Wikipedia right. description or somewhere, yeah. even though you're not trying actively to solve it, your brain is still trying to put the pieces into the places where they would belong. And 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 that's and a, and that does a weird thing to your brain, right? And to put them into some sort of linear order, right? Them, yeah. Right. To put them into a position where you can comprehend it. Right. So... So about three quarters of the film, I decided through the film, I decided it was a ghost story, and that oh, that made it make sense okay, for me. Okay, okay. And and some some evidence to that end, uh, we the first scene in the shooting range mm. cuts to uh, as uh, as I I can't remember if it's the husband or or the man, um, as they are aiming, we cut to. The woman walking out of the shadows, as if she is at the other end right, of the yeah, shooting yeah, range, yeah. and then we get the the later implication that she was murdered by her husband, shot to death by her maybe, husband for maybe. for this maybe affair. And again, that is you know it is a a history that is not actual history as far as right. the storytelling of this movie goes. So, uh, um, see, I didn't read it as a ghost story. I I, thought, I read him as the the I read the sort of protagonist. Uh, I read him as some sort of, for a while, for quite a bit of, like, some sort of incarnation of, like, the Grim Reaper or the devil trying to take her off uh-huh. to hell or, or off to the afterlife I in see. general terms for a while. Yeah. I gave up on that after a while, but it did dominate sort of the middle portion of the film for me. Yeah. Well, another another aspect of it being a ghost story for me that I thought made a little sense is that she... Uh, it's hard to tell what is currently happening and what is past. Absolutely. In well, this movie. I mean, because nothing, Purposely nothing is. So. The answer is nothing. Right. The answer right. is both and nothing at the same time. Yeah. Like there is the no past. There is meant no to future be, here. Yeah. Right. Last last year melds into this. It's all the same building. It's all and last everything. year stuff like things are described in the present tense that are happening that clearly would have happened in the past if that were true. Right. But then they're right, also right, right. also happening now. It. It's uh it's yeah, it's cool this, in that sense. I get the impression that like yeah yeah, I mean I really enjoy yeah. that that there that, was, that sort of feeling. But there was a part of the idea that he he feels guilt over the events of the last year uh that she died as a result of it and it is it is also him coming to terms with all of that uh and seeing her in this hotel. Uh, as he tries to re-enter society or whatever, um, so I think there's a lot there as far as it being a ghost story. Yeah, I think there are a lot of other there are a lot of other readings you can put onto this film with just as much evidence. There yeah. is I, d- I don't of, buy into the ghost story right. thing really at all. <laughs> to, so to a point, you know, there's enough. This this movie has enough of of half baked theories of what is actually going on that none of them could be true and all of them could be true. Um, there is another aspect of him being a guy who maybe is isn't trying to really say we met last year, but is trying, but believes that she is in a bad relationship and is offering her this out right. in a very the, weird the way. Amazon description very purposely decides that he's <laughs> attempting to seduce her. Uh, that is through some sort of gaslighting plan. Uh, yeah. Like it makes it it very like it, if memory serves, I read it and I was like. I thought I knew what the movie was, and then I got in and I was like, oh, I do not know what this movie is. <laughs> um, the fascinating thing about right. it is is I find it interesting. 
I am fascinated by the fact that people feel possessed inside of themselves that they to, to have a theory. Uh, like I said, right. I had an operating theory in the middle because at the time I still assumed it, it doesn't directly at any point tell you you should abandon hope all ye who enter here. Like you, it doesn't it doesn't give you a, a, an, any idea. There's no point where it says like, oh, you should stop trying to understand this in any sort <laughs> right. of linear storytelling <laughs> method. Right. Uh, but by the time you get to the end of the movie, that's my my general takeaway was like, no, Pat, you should definitely not be trying to have a theory because right. that's that is not just a fool's errand, but also defeats the point. You know what I mean? Like it, it flies in the face of what the goal of the film is, which is to give you this sort of at least my interpretation more of the goal of the film, which is to give you this sort of dreamlike experience of a sort of dissociative uh like story where like like us like in a like in a dream you can wake up describe the dream and when you were in it it all was okay and things made sense but then if you were try again as to that joke were to try and tell somebody what happened it's all going to fall apart on you because then you're going to try to construct it linearly and you're gonna be like well fuck None of none of this fits together in any meaningful way, other than to give you feelings. Right? It gives you you get impressions and themes and and feelings without the sort of story for to a certain extent without the story getting in the way. Like shit is ominous. Definitely, whatever the story is is fucking dark and ominous. You definitely know that. Uh, You don't know where it happened. You don't know what happened. Maybe people died. Maybe people didn't die. Maybe people were raped. Maybe people weren't raped. Maybe people. Maybe people exist. Maybe people didn't exist. Like, right. like maybe this is nothing. Maybe this is something. And and it's okay to just sort of at the end be like, no, I had an experience that was valuable in the way it made me feel and the way it made my brain try to deal with it. Right. Without trying to pull it. it to fly in the face of nearly every time we've ever watched a movie together, the I right. like directly the movie tells me no, don't please don't waste your energy trying to piece this back together and tell me what kind of story I made. Uh, right. I feel like Christopher Nolan's seen this movie. I feel like oh, certainly Christopher this Nolan definitely had some influence on Memento too. Yeah, I will say that I think Christopher Nolan has seen this movie and maybe didn't get it. Uh, well, I don't <laughs> listen. No, nah, I'm just playing I, around. We've seen this movie and maybe didn't get it. No, so. what I mean is uh, doesn't get the point I'm taking away from it, and then right, has right, decided right, to try right. to make linear storytelling, but with this, mo- like sort of, yeah, sort of feeling to it. I, I joke. I just I like to make fun of. Christopher you remember Nolan. when they re-released Memento in chronological oh, order? Right. Yes. It was like a like an option on the DVD. Yes. It was just to watch it. Watch everything. Watch thirty in minutes of order. movie and be like, "Yep, all right, yeah. that's the story." Uh, I, I stand it. by my point that I don't like Memento. You can cut yeah, that out so that we don't get any hate mail. I'm apparent I'm wrong about this, but I still don't like the movie. Um, <laughs> I've accepted that you're wrong about it. Yeah, so. it's fine. I didn't enjoy it the first, second, or third time I had to watch that movie. Oh, I'm dear. fairly certain I do not like it. The number of times that ah. film friends of mine over the years have tried to make me watch Memento after me telling them I don't like it. They're like, no, this time, 
you're going to enjoy it because I'm here to help you. And it's like, no, 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 no. Right. I, I, I'll guide, I'll guide yes, you. Yes, I'm going to hold your hand through this experience, my tender embrace. And it's like, no, yeah. I still don't like it. Sorry. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, this is obviously an influential movie. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's beautifully shot. Oh, yeah. It's beautifully staged. Uh, it is... Uh, t- to describe it as a puzzle box suggests that there is a way to solve it, and I don't think there is a way to solve well, this movie. And no, there isn't for sure. Right. I agree. What I meant is more the way that a puzzle box feels when you hold yeah. it in your hand. Uh, I, right. I, even more than a puzzle box, I would almost say, have you ever seen? I've got a bunch of them in my house. Uh, the sort of wood art where there's a bunch of disconnected like L joint pieces and stuff, and they come together yes. to make a ball. But in pieces, they're nothing, and right. And right, this doesn't right, form right. a ball, but it feels like what it feels like when you have the fully constructed ball. But like you know that if you pull it apart, it's I don't know. It feels weird. Right. It, it has a feeling on you where you, if you like try to trace the path of it, it doesn't really fully make sense. It's sort of in dimensional or some nonsense, and it, right, it feels. Right. It does a weird thing to your brain when you look at something like that. It's an M.C. Escher painting, essentially, is what I'm describing here. Where, like, at any yeah. given point when you look at any spot on it, you're like, oh, that, that's a thing. That's that thing. And then you slide over two inches, and it fucking makes no sense again. And it's a whole different right. thing. I like this movie for its interesting use of card and board games. Because, obviously, this is idle rich, so they're playing right. a lot of cards. But then the husband has the game of Nim, yeah. Uh, with with often with matches, uh, sometimes with cards. He plays it uh, dominoes. I think they play. With I mean, you can play with it. They set it. They set it up with the photo and copies of the photograph at one point. Um, they don't actually play it with those copies. Well, yeah. I mean, she's uh, mostly. It's yeah. They, right. You got to which you gotta is keep all, bringing those motifs back together, right? Which is all to suggest that these are two men taking small swipes. At capturing a woman, right? Uh, and, but only one of them can win in whatever manner, I guess. If there is a thematic thing to the nim, and the husband has already won and knows the strategy, so that he will always win. It's very interesting too. Right. If that is an interpretive lens that we, want I think to it's look one of the, the closer through. things to to, uh, to a yeah. proper lens to view the movie through. Uh, it certainly yeah. sets the tone for the relationships between the men. Uh, and that tone does seem applicable sort of yeah. throughout the film. But but I also like on on picking up sticks that at one point we we pan through the game room and the man is at a big table playing some sort of dominoes variant where right. all of the dominoes are in a huge circle around Which the edge of the table. Which is fascinating. I want to try playing that sometime. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know what that dominoes variant is at all. Uh, but then we pan to another table and spend just enough time. And I, I can't remember if she's at the table or not, but they're playing tiddlywinks. They're, uh, they're just, okay. they're literally Let, just picking up shall sticks. Shall we talk about this? <laughs> yeah. uh, tiddlywinks is actually an extremely old game uh, yeah. and is not called tiddlywinks. And uh, I, know. I, I, in the past, have owned very nice sets of it, uh, usually yeah. with like mahogany sticks. Uh, or or other fairly nice wood sticks. Uh, it's considered very, very used to be considered in the eighteen hundreds, especially a very sophisticated parlor game. Listen, fascinating. I'm enough. not. I'm not trying to downplay whether or not these people would be playing tiddlywinks. Yeah, 
I think it's fascinating that uh, we get all these games of high strategy. Oh, you don't, you don't the only mean... way to win is to know the strategy oh, of Nim. Wait, were you watching Tiddlywinks? I was talking about uh, pickup sticks. Yeah, the pickup sticks. Yeah, Tiddlywinks yeah. is the things where you launch the the the, the fucking poker chi- not poker chips the uh, bingo oh, yeah, chips. I'm sorry, I'm bucket. thinking of a, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking it, yes, I, pick up pick up stick. It has a real I call that Tiddlywinks. I don't know why I call that Tiddlywinks. So you in my tell mind, you call it the, the wrong game, thing, and that will confuse. I call it the wrong your, thing. Is the you, problem? Of course, children that you meet in the future will be very confused. Uh, Fine. <laughs> no, all of yeah. all of the kids I'm going to meet in the future who really love Tiddlywinks and pickup sticks. Uh, as far as I understand, pickup sticks is me and one them of are just going to play. Like we're just going to play Kerplunk. That's the only thing we're going to do with those sticks. It doesn't matter. I anyway. I really enjoy it. it. It's called Mikado, the the, okay. the actual name of the game. Uh, but like I've tried to read the full history of it. It's very confusing. But it's one of those European imports where they're like, check out this game we found. Yeah. In our in our <laughs> in our overseas adventures, check out this game we brought back and we'll take credit for. Yeah. Don't really know how to play it because. Uh... Oh, it's, the guys who taught us were idiots, and we killed them. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We couldn't understand what they were saying, and we shot them because they seemed kind of <laughs> scary. They had these little sticks. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, probably has some sort of religious or sexual meaning. Uh, <laughs> no, that's archaeology, not. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were they were they weren't quite there yet. That that comes later. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, just the idea that that. Um, we've got this very ornate game of Nim that is just picking up sticks, but you have to know the strategy in order to even play the game. Um, Versus this game that is literally just picking up sticks out of a pile of sticks. Uh, (laughs) Um, I was fascinated by when they pan over one more time or like it's slightly different level or later is two people playing checkers, but they all have black tokens which i thought yes, was very fascinating yes. also very good um the, yeah, the most, there's a lot yeah, of there's some good ones like that a lot of very interesting uh board gaming stuff going on in this movie uh that i really like um but you know the the checkers thing also implies that there is no point in trying to understand this movie right right because <laughs> right. it's all black pieces right um right and everybody's yeah. relationship to everybody else is just is essentially incomprehensible uh Right, right, right. Um, man, there are just there's some really, really just striking images in this film. Um, you know, I think one uh, one that I made a note of and then realized that there's a screenshot of it on the Wikipedia yeah, page is that is, the is that garden scene or whatever. The so- the shot of the garden where nothing has a shadow except for the people who have incredibly long shadows. Right. Um, that's which, a that's a special effect. Right, right, right. Those which shadows is, are painted which is on. Which neat. It, it was really yeah. incomprehensible when it was on screen. I was like, wow. Right. And the nice thing about that shot especially is that, at least for me, it was short enough or my, I was engaged sort of mentally in a different place where it was disconcerting, but I didn't yes. obviously know why. Right, uh, right, right. Like now, it happens uh, like so you, fast. When, it's told, when you're told and you look at the shot, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why it was so upsetting. But when you look at it, it looks like a painting, like a weird sort of 18th century right. painting that you might see somewhere uh, and be like, oh, it, this is a very famous yeah. painting, and and be like, well, that's weird and unsettling. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like, it feels like 
some sort of cross between an early Maggie and an Edward Gorey thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because it's black and white and it's it's a weird use of shadow. At first, I thought the well, and then triangular... all the geometric shapes, you know, make right. it even weirder. I thought the I thought the geometric shrubs were painted in is where my brain first. Yeah, no, no, that. I agree. Yeah, you get that impression at first, and then the only reason you go have to turn away from that is because later you meet those shrubs. Yeah, they're just everywhere, yeah. right? You know, they do exist. So, but yeah, but yeah, you um, combine it with the sort of like weird aesthetic of the white, like the the white statuary that also looks like could just be pasted onto the photo. Right, like, right. It all right. looks like it could be fake. Like every part of it could be. Somebody could hand draw the, this exact image, and you'd be like, "Yeah, okay, that checks out." Right. right. Somebody in 1913 and, you know, had a lot of time on their hands and made this. Perhaps unhelped by the fact that we have a painting of the same area earlier in the film, right? Unfortunately, uh, not rendered with the, in this way. Right, not rendered in this way. Um, but yeah, it's just you know the. As a commentary on memory, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the the wispiness of trying to remember things, uh, this is a very interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that regard, I also love the scene at the painting of that courtyard, where they have just finished discussing the nature of the uh, statues. A couple. A couple scenes before, and the the man and the woman both come up with their conflicting narratives on what the statues right. mean. And then, as they're at that painting, the husband steps up and just says, "Well, actually, those statues are of." Yeah, and gives this the, is the gives the factually answer. correct answer, which is I find <laughs> interesting as a, as, a, as the relationship there as it relates to obviously you know the idea of knowledge and what you know and what you don't know um, is yeah. is very interesting. I would I was also really fascinated. By the fact that our narrator commits relatively frequently, at least a few times, to the idea that the past is set in stone. Uh, yeah. And that, like, the things, as part of whatever this, whatever he is doing, whatever the narrator is attempting, one of the things he is saying to the woman, at least in narration, is that, well, the past is the past. It can't be changed. Like, it's already passed. But whereas the movie obviously flies in the face of that statement even to the extent that the statues themselves have no inherent meaning that is discernible through the statue, right? Like, it, it, even those things that are set right. in stone are not, in fact, set in stone because knowing or not knowing the nature of what those statues are about is only a matter of, quote-unquote, knowledge that you right. have acquired, but you can't prove it definitively based on what you're seeing in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, so I find it, it, it uh, as a meditation on the idea of what uh, on the idea of knowledge itself. I find it yeah very fascinating. And I love, I love how set design plays into that conversation. Like the first time we talk about her bedroom, it's this big, spacious, white, uh, empty thing, right? Uh, and then later we see that same bedroom again. Uh, and it's dark. It's a more finite room. Right. But also, we are seeing her in a triptych mirror being shot from the reflection of another mirror in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, is, is part of where I started thinking of this as a ghost story, too, because so often we do see her in reflection. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, that's true. But but that that doesn't mean a ghost 
it can also just mean I mean, yeah, because she's a memory right. too, right? <laughs> and like she, we engage with her quite frequently as not in a mirror. Uh, like, right, right, right. I, I was fascinated. One of my favorite, like, sort of visual tricks. I, I like the mirror, the the sort of the the three part mirror shot as well. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. One of my favorite scenes is when we actually physically walk, like, as they're sort of sorting through memory or whatever, and like the things they say have direct sort of corollary on on screen. At one point, they go from it was it was light, especially when he apparently gets confused, which always sort of leans sort of some credence to the idea that this is a weird gaslighting thing in its own self. Yeah. Because when he gets confused, especially the environment immediately changes, because uh, he's right. the story. He's essentially quote unquote the narrator of the story. Um, right, right. But when he goes from light to dark, the room itself, the, they do some neat camera work and everything, and so they're like. It goes from a yes. fully lit room to a fully dark room with lights on, and that was very. I like that shot. Was really yeah. neat. It was really neat. Uh, I also really love the shot that that sort of undermines this interpretation of him gaslighting her. Is the sequence where he comes to uh, comes well comes to realize that his remembering of the sexual encounter was not as uh, consenting as right, right, he right. may be thinking it was. Uh, and and he has a sort of emotional break, and the camera zooms down the hallway as if he is running right through his own memories, but running away from this memory. And we go, you know, a hundred yards down a hallway, turn the corner, and we're right back in her bedroom with her standing there again. Right? Yeah. That I, that was <laughs> uh, that was really neat. I, no, I I do not submit to the idea that this is that the gaslighting is the canonical interpretation yeah. of this at all. Right. It right. is just at times it does have this sort of fascinating because he is actively apparently trying to convince her of this information uh it does have that sort of feeling of like a person who is trying to trick somebody that's part of adding yeah. in the ominence and all that right. stuff um again i don't believe there is any s- story here um I, I i i am fascinated by a lot of that sort of stuff that they do and i i I mean, if there is anything in this movie, it is the fact that like knowledge and is inherently not like doesn't isn't a thing that you can that that can exist. It has no legitimate existence. Uh, so, right. Sort of a meditation on epistemology is, Which, is a fascinating thing to put in yeah. a film. Uh, right. Right. And whether or not you agree with is very 1950s French of a conversation uh, yeah. to be having. Well, and so. I mean, like, I can't, I legitimately, as far as the movie's concerned, can't find any flaws in the sort of argument there that's being presented here, right? Because it's not saying, right. it's not committing to a, like, a sort of theoretical approach or anything. It's just like, hey, do you know any of the things you know? <laughs> like, uh, is, yeah. a, is a, it's fascinating. Um, I really... I will never have an well, opportunity to show this movie to any person on Earth, but I would like but to... But you do own it now, so you can. I do. Well, again, m- much yeah. much like the study of epistemology, also ownership is one of those funny things <laughs> right? in this world right, now right. where do I own anything? Apparently not. Uh, because as I learned the other day, I can't even take a screenshot of a movie I bought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Pat, on that note... Uh, doesn't the nature of the death of the author and the inability to know anything mean that this is a ghost story in that we're all ghosts? 
Well, uh, yes, I, you could make that argument. That's a it's a fascinating <laughs> one. Um, you know, I I think maybe I am not an author, so I'm not dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, so long as I that's, remain not that's an the author, only, the the only way to really to really know yourself written. is to never You've write written. anything down. Right. Uh, well, then the we then we have to get into a whole another study, sort of a. So, so sort of a study of what makes or doesn't make an author, right? A writer versus an author? Yeah. Are like, we... I mean, like, I write a lot of scribbled notes in my office about shit I got to do that week. Am I an author? Probably not. Don't you have published papers, Pat? Can you really Shut your argue mouth. that you're not an author? Shut your mouth. I, I have hundreds of published papers. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> I know for hundreds. We're, we're like 50. We probably have about 50 published papers. Uh, right. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Okay. I don't consider, I personally mentally have always separated those worlds really dramatically. We use yeah. the same word for them, but like what I do for my job and for my career is in no way a creative act. <laughs> it is an Understood. act of creation. I make things. Uh, yeah. It is not creative. Um, I see. I see. <laughs> um we're not going to talk we're not going to talk about my publishing history anymore. I don't want anybody to go look it up. No yeah, we don't nobody need kno- needs to know what sort of stuff I'm researching. Right. Um, <laughs> we did talk briefly about it in one of the Immemora films. Uh uh yeah, I mean we've talked about a few different but, things cuz we also watched that one movie about about being a teacher. That remember right, was right. it Brown? Yes. What was it called? The Browning version. Yeah. Which I I you know really struck an interesting chord with me personally as a teacher. Yeah. And we talked, I think a little bit about my publishing history in that as well. A uh, lot of papers about a lot of nonsense. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> um, the, uh, the cinematography in this is always great. The music is very interesting. Uh, even as it is, everything works together for one thing. The music is disconcordant, not musically disconcordant, but disconcordant to, to what is happening on screen very often. Right. Um, in in interesting ways, not in just disconnected ways. Uh, the costumes here, uh, uh, the, uh, um, the woman's costumes are all designed by Coco Chanel, which is unsurprising, I guess. Unsurprising. Um, looking at them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just a lot, of, a lot of very interesting things going into this to make a movie that, everyone had to know was not going to have wide popularity. Right. Well, I mean, I feel like whenever we talk about this kind of thing there, it feels like, and maybe this, I, does this universe still exist? I'm not a hundred percent sure. There seems to be a universe of a certain kind of film and a certain kind of year where everybody's committed essentially to the sort of art of it. Yeah. Full knowledge that it's not like a commercial project. Not really, right. and it's always very fat because I presumably that still happens, and yeah, in 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 sort of independent film, uh, but on the scale of this kind of thing, I don't know. I don't feel like it does. Does that make sense? Well, I think that's the nature of sort of independent film today, right? Exactly. The uh there's there's been a conglomerization if not monopolization of uh film production right uh, and 
to to the point where something like this, even if it could get produced, would air in one cinema in New York for one week if produced right. in America. And, and, right, and then, maybe not even a week. And probably presumably <laughs> here, too, you get something like Coco Chanel dresses because, like, she's interested in the art you're going to make kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. The Chanel dresses are, are very interesting. Anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, just, I don't know. There's also, obviously we're, we're dealing in black and white. So it's very, sh- it's very, uh, sharp. Uh, although the way it's shot, I, I found but myself I also, comparing it to Bergman work, which is much even more contrasty, right? Like is even right, the, right, the right, blacks right. in Bergman films are way blacker. Um, but I, in my head, I started doing that just sort of on accident because of what we've experienced thus far. And like, oh, a really freaky, weird black and white film that's like mostly just about the way you're supposed to feel while you're watching it. Oh, I know who I'm supposed right. to compare this to. Mentally is how I kind of where I was. Absolutely, um, yeah. Can't yeah, help it. You I just mean, can't it's help obviously it. it's impossible, and you can't you can't help it because we've we've already seen just so much that's influenced by this, right? Right, you know, right. To to think about, but but it is interesting how much is influenced by this in feeling and in uh, look. Uh, and in set design, but no one's no one's really trying. No one's really attempting. You know, Kurosawa does call this his favorite movie, right? I, I totally get that. That makes sense. But, but Kurosawa is is by and large always committed to linear narrative plot, like right. Even when he lets things get a little wild, like. You know, like there's always that comparison to Rashomon or something like that. Yeah, but Rashomon came out a decade before this, right? So, and like, then, right, no, I yeah, I understand. But like, you can see yeah. why why Kurosawa would be like, "This is cool." Um, yeah, but the di- a very clear difference being the fact that like, while you don't know what happens, Rashomon, you have the shape of the thing is always there. Right, right. Like right. you, you, you could never tell you the you could never tell your audience, you know, a person what happened. But you could sketch the broad strokes of it and be accurate. Whereas this, you couldn't, like, if you, yeah, you couldn't ask a person to draw a diagram of what the story is in this and have anything that isn't just a weird scribble mark, essentially. Yeah. Um, that, like, weirdly, that sort of feeds in on itself and stuff. I feel like it had, you know, the influence it's had on, like, people who want their narrative story to be weird and a little bit like disjointed that's very clear right yeah but nobody's going to make this movie again <laughs> right apparently Robbie Gillet uh did the script was a little more explicit that this man was trying to persuade her into leaving not trying to persuade her that this was actually a thing that happened in the past oh. so so his version maybe had more of that gaslighting sort of interpretation of it um obviously renee's and uh obviously renee's interpretation of this is uh is different to that 
Um, right. And apparently there was there was time where Robbie Grillet um, was angry at that. Right. Uh, and he has since sort of come to come to accept uh, that that was what was happening. Um, from what I have read, Robbie Grillet also uh, very much identified with the narrator character. Um, which makes the rape fantasy a little more icky, and I'm glad right, that <laughs> Rene did not shoot it as as uh, described uh, with that. Um, yeah, which is, in as much as there is story here, I suppose it is his story. But, well, yeah, but also but, you always get the impression that to I my impression throughout it is that. He is a narrator for his for her story, right? Like it is right. her and story told through his sort of retelling of it. It has yeah, this sort of maybe, feeling of like he's knows the story or has heard the story and is yeah. retelling it. Uh, maybe I'm projecting too much, but it feels to me like Robert Gruet wanted to uh, tell the narrator's story. And Rene wanted to tell the woman's story, and that is where the conflict right, yeah. comes. I, well, I mean, her story is, I mean, Rene is not wrong. Her story is more interesting than his story. Right. Like, right. straight up. Right. It just makes a, a more interesting thing to experience. I think you're yeah. definitely right. I think that that is a very, if you were going to get into the sort of meta interpretation of this film, that's where, where it lies, is like, yeah. Whose story are we telling? So we're using the man, we're using the male narrator's voice to essentially tell right. her story. In in either case, it is very interesting that the husband's relationship to the man is in itself this ethereal force that just shows up to prove he's smarter and more powerful than yeah, him yeah, totally. in every instance. <laughs> um, whereas his relationship with the wife, uh, in as much as we can assume any of it is in narrative. Uh, we see her going to the play and him saying, hey, where are you going? But even that's past, right? Because that's that's flashback to Marion Bod. Uh, well, supposedly. maybe. I mean, what is maybe. or is not flashback talking about to going Marianne to the Bod's. play. Right, talking about going to the play and then they have lunch tomorrow with, with the other guy um, who I think is at first called Anderson, but it, stuck in, it sticks in my mind that the narrator later can't remember the guy's name and gives a few other other right, suggestions right, right. when he when he mentions it again um so you know at the at the same time if the whole story if everything we see is the narrator's point of view which it very well could be um it's the husband's interactions are still very interesting in that again he just shows up to say hey you're dumb I'm smarter than you. I'm more powerful than you, and I've got the woman. <laughs> right. Well, a, a, an interesting sort of to kind of go in a weird direction, sort of with that that I've been thinking about for a while while I was watching the movie too, is it's really fascinating to me that it is definitely the woman's story, but the woman is, it's really strange. She's also almost entirely secondary in her ability to enact any action in the film in many ways. Right. Yeah. Like. It's yeah. essentially a battle between these two men that is her story that's being told by the one the one man that is part of right. this battle, right? Like it's the one man who's not playing with a full deck, too. Right. 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 It's really who yeah, it's who doesn't know who doesn't know the trick to Nim. Right. 
and and cannot possibly intuit the trick to Nim. Which is in itself um, a fascinating and frustrating thing to watch. Right. It's like, right. my man, it's not that hard. Okay? Like <laughs> I don't and then I, I I don't know. The actual strategy to Nim is to start thinking in binary, so maybe it is actually that hard. Uh, but <laughs> Right, yeah, but the binary the binary is a way to extrapolate a thing you can sort of intuit if you've watched like mm. about three or four games of it and, and understand right, that right, like right, 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 you right, may not right. have a perfect strategy, but you can certainly start to win about fifty percent of the games based slowly on intuited <laughs> strategies. Uh, I'm fascinated by all the people in the background who shout false at one time there's one scene where a bunch of people are shouting really like shitty advice which is i found very fascinating right. it's like oh it's it's powers of seven or something like that somebody shouts and yeah. it's like whoa my man like again yeah not that hard I, right i also love that that shouting of uh useless strategy continues into the next scene yes yeah that that stuff still still happens in the in the in the audio Ah, uh, yeah, just the the way things bleed together in this oh, movie. Oh, well, just yeah, we haven't talked so about good. it enough. You talked about the music, but the way the audio in this movie functions is amazing. The fact that night, especially for the first like half an hour, you never know who's talking about what at any given time, right? Or or if we are meant to, if it's meant to be voiceover, or if there is one scene where uh, the man and the woman are both walking toward the camera. Where I swear every line she delivers, she's actually delivering, but only like half the lines he delivers, despite it being a conversation, are does his mouth seem to be moving? Yeah, totally. There's a know. bunch of shit like that. Well, yeah. there's also these like things where you're like, you're like, you see people talking, but then like the camera moves on, but their conversation continues into the next scene. But then starts to right. bleed into the things that the person on the other scene say. It's this fucking. And there's so, purposefully, it's purposely out of sync audio yeah. for some conversations. Uh, just the fact that the opening narration happens like four times, fading in and at, out. Over at the least of, four times, at right? At least four times, probably more. I lost track because you also cut in and out at random spots of that narration. Right, right, right. It's uh, yeah, And it, it changes slightly depending on e- in different iterations. It's. The fucking first twenty minutes of this movie is is mind blowing. Right. It is absolutely right. mind blowing. Right. Like the rest of the movie is really good, but I feel like if you wanted to just like fuck with some film students kind of thing, it's like, well, just show them the first twenty minutes. It's fine. We're good. Right. right. Like their brains will be melted enough that you can just sort of like shut the down the projector and be like, all right, you guys can watch the rest of the movie on your own, okay? Like your brains are sufficiently melted at this point that will we can move on to the next topic for the day's lecture kind of thing. Right, right, right. I, I, you know, unless um, your desire is to talk about epistemology, at which point you should like absolutely show them the entire mo- film and then have them debate what happened for the rest right. of the class. Yeah. And guess what? You guys, uh, motherfuckers, you're all wrong and all right at the same time. Congratulations. Go home. Write me oh, a 10-page paper. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Do you assign ten-page papers? Absolutely overnight? not. That- absolutely not. Yeah. Ten-page paper overnight isn't is a, is a borderline impossible task unless you inflict it upon yourself, uh, which yeah. you know we all do, right? The, the opening of this film also very much reminded me of the Exterminating Angel in the way that movie yes, plays absolutely. With time. I totally um, agree. I thought the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of hoping um, they would all end up being stuck in there, and, and I mean, you know, it's kind of like, well, we have got some yeah. idle rich. It's a weird cast. It's right. a weird palace. Maybe everybody here dies. Cool. Right. It's a surrealist idol rich thing, but it is it is not Bunellian. No. Uh in that 
in that Buñuel always had something he was trying to say. Well, um, I, I do think I, I think Rene has something he's trying to say. It's just that not the same kind of thing that Brunel's trying to say. Very yeah. different. Yeah. One is very practical and down to earth about the exact nature of interrelationships between people and and who or who does not deserve to be trapped in a hotel with each other or whatever, right, or whatever right. that building is that inside of a mansion or whatever. It's a house, I it's think. A house. Yeah. I don't fucking know. They're all giant buildings. Uh, they're just in the dining room for the most part. I know it's still a huge building. I mean, there's a fucking bear yeah. at one point. Um, <laughs> right. My house does uh, not support bears. I'm just going to tell you right now. Right. Uh, but y- y- you know, Renee is definitely trying to talk about a thing here for sure. Uh, or yeah, I, actually, I would say it's Renee because, like, even as you know, obviously, you have to give a lot of credit to a director in this situation. But even given the what we know about the changes from the screenplay to Renee's visual version of it, it does seem like Renee's like, no, no, no. This movie is 100% about knowing or not knowing things. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like necessarily that was 100% the point of of uh, Robbie Grillet's version, but that's definitely the point of Renee's version. It yeah. Is you don't know anything you know. Congratulations, go it's, home. Right, and in that regard, it's interesting that, you know... Nouveau Roman were not, they're not books without points. They are not about, you know, they have plots. They just don't, uh, the plots don't uh, build on characterization is really their defining characteristic. Uh, So, so uh, his interpretation of this as being the story of this man trying to seduce this woman, uh, seemingly by any means possible and possibly by, uh, just lying to her uh, and then imagining a fantasy where he had raped her in the past. Um, <clears throat> whereas uh, Renee seems much less interested in telling a plot. Right. And in more right. just laying out in experience. Right. It's an experience um, with a point, but it's an experience that right. is... You're, you're, it's and, you know, definitely talking, a directed experience. It's it's impossible to talk about this film and what I like about this film without using the exact same words I would use to uh, uh, write off any other film as being pretentious. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that's. So I think that uh, to goes to the credit to a certain extent is you can only essentially do this once. Right. Well, you, the world Possibly. only gets one of these. <laughs> right. Because everything after that becomes a sort of you can do it a different version of it. You can do a, a Bergman version of it where it's a it's a right. but I'm sure when we get there, Bergman Bergman's version will be saying us a, a different yeah. We'll not be yeah. saying Persona's the same thing. thing. It's just not gonna be saying the same thing. Essentially you and somebody got to write the sort of the sort of textbook version of this, and if you tried to make it again, you would just be doing a pa- a parody of this thing. Right, right. And for, for as much as something like Memento owes to this movie, Memento is not a nouveau Absolutely. Roman work. Absolutely. It's, uh-huh. it's not, yeah, it's in no way, it is it is taking ideas from here, but it's not a parody of this thing. Yeah. Memento, really. as we talked about before with a lot of the other things that use these ideas, has a definable, knowable plot. Right. That one could, right. can, and apparently some DVD designer did construct in a <laughs> yes. linear way. Um, right, the, and the same as I, despite my love of making fun of Christopher Nolan, that's 
true of all of his movies that they take things about what you do and do not know and play around with them. But he, to a certain extent, because Christopher Nolan knows what happened, right. there's a thing to know. I do not. I am not entirely convinced that Renee knew or cared to know what happened right. in this story. Written. And that's important because that means that on a meta level, there is no answer. And it's 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 very interesting because this movie can function as a jigsaw puzzle because so much so much that happens has a precedent or an antecedent in the narrative, right? right. And it's self-referential in that way. Uh, and in that way, it's very much a jigsaw puzzle fitting together, but it's a jigsaw puzzle without a defined edge. Right, exactly. And if you tried to right. construct it, you, my suspicion, you could do it. I'm sure people have. You could take word, you could essentially go line by line through the movie and everything that is said about everything else and try to piece it together. And what I think you're going to find is you essentially have a fucked up N.C. Escher painting where like <laughs> right. things connect to other things that don't make any sense to be connected. And, right, and right. yeah, you could have a painting at the end. You could have a thing where you're like, okay, this is the story of last year at Marion Bad. And anybody who looks at it would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, man. Can you imagine the, uh, the scholarly debates that would happen if you, if you attempted, if you stated your purpose was to recut this movie into chronological Oh, shit. Order. Oh, my God. Oh, it would be amazing. <laughs> I, as a, just a random. The sad part is, is we're probably too far gone for that to be a legit troll but like, yeah, it would be if people got up in arms about ni- early 1960s French film. Boy, howdy, would that get people up in arms? Right, right, right. I mean, I'm sure within a limited community it would. But like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not going to you're not going to blow up on the Internet for, for claiming I've, I've done a final cut of a, a final cut of, a, <laughs> of fucking last year. Very bad. Oh man, I should I should spend this week doing that. Oh god, put, it would be so beautiful. <laughs> just just recut the film in in a completely different random order. Uh but but claim that I put <laughs> claim it in Claim it's a final cut. Order. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Another interesting one. What what movie is it? Is it Trap? What what's the movie where they do the Man, my brain is melted. Where they like split get, up the screen a bunch of, where they split up the screen a bunch of times so all the things that are happening at the same time. I mean like fucking oh. 24 does it, but like Yeah. Um but you do that with every line that references the same point in time at the same time, but is yeah. delivered with slightly different, and you just layer them all on top of each other. So it's like at one point the screen split into eight times where he describes the room and the screen just splits into <laughs> right, eight regions right, where he right. describes the room eight different ways all at the same time. All the audio is layered on top of each other. So it's incomprehensible nonsense. <laughs> but it's like, it's the final cut. Uh, we now know everything that happened in chronological order. You just can't understand it because you can't listen to eight tracks of audio at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's its own, it's its own incomprehensible thing. I think I legitimately think that would also be a beautiful work of art. Uh, yeah. Totally, totally separate. Your your remat your remix of last year at Marion Bad, where it's just just incompre- It's it's a different kind of incomprehensible nonsense. We're gonna we're gonna do some research and find out that a late '90s video artist already absolutely did that. apparently uh, it, apparently the band and Blur it referenced it in a song, so you know right, yeah. They did it, and it played constantly in in MoMA for like two years, uh, from ninety seven to ninety nine. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway. People loved um, it. It was amazing. The person was highly lauded, still not still poor, but highly lauded. But yeah, yeah, the uh the references to this to this uh in the in popular culture. Oh, I love that's my um, favorite section of any Wikipedia article. Yeah. Yeah, but um yeah. Blur's music video references it. Uh, the uh, what was it? Uh, I, I from Russia with love. The opening sequence of From Russia with Love apparently references this. Oh, it's really? been so long since I've watched oh, that. I haven't seen From Russia with Love in probably yeah at least two decades. Well, there's there's a new uh, there's a new James Bond out, so it's it's time to watch all the James Bonds so that I'd you can understand die. the entire James Bond <laughs> universe. Yeah. Uh, well, the most before the, you we watch all know the, new the one. most important one. Uh, no, uh, but no, like um, actually, I'm probably gonna go see the new one. I have a friend who wants to go together, so uh, should be interesting. It'll be the first movie I've been to in three years. Interesting, or something yeah. like that. Uh, but my friend really wants to go, so uh, I, I find know. the statement: the film was the main inspiration for Carl Lagerfeld's Chanel Spring Summer 2011 collection. Uh, boy, that's that's the Snake eating its own tail, if I've ever heard. Yeah, it. circles and circles, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. My my main inspiration for for my new Chanel line was a Chanel line from 1961. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, all right, sure. Why not? You, you, um, now you can own a piece of the movie. It feels like uh, it's it's got a certain sort of like bad like movie prop thing going on as well. I should uh, actually on that. <laughs> What struck me the most when I noticed the uh, Hitchcock cardboard cutout is it's such a weird cutout because he's like facing away from the from the plane. I, I don't know. It's yeah. There's a lot uh, of fun and weird choices in here. I like the one that says the film's visual style has also been imitated by many TV commercials and fashion photography. What they are describing is nearly every uh, <laughs> perfume commercial and and uh, right. cologne commercial that's ever been made. Yeah. I, I forget what I, I used to claim perfume and uh, cologne commercials reminded me of. I forget which uh, director. But my answer is now last year at Mary and Bad. That's the answer yeah. to the question. All all perfume and uh, and uh, cologne commercials have attempt to accomplish the same sense of unknowability and etherealness. And right. Some of them right. have Johnny Depp in them. <laughs> it's true. Some of them do. Those are my reason. favorites because for some reason Johnny Depp has and all of them he's trying to be a cowboy, and I'm not clear on why. Yeah. Um, Still ethereal and unknowable, but also a cowboy. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get bogged down in just going through the uh, Wikipedia so interpretations. good. They're every single one is good. Yeah. Oh, you're not talking about the um, influences anymore. You're talking about the oh, interpretation. Oh, not the influence. The, the interpretations the are all trash thing. and ought to be burned. Yeah. <laughs> in uh yeah in in the nature of what this film is even talking about i think asking robert Grillet or rene about what they think the movie is about is maybe a useless exercise too <laughs> so um, well i will say asking robert Grillet was kind of a useless exercise asking rene you get the exact answer that you should get which is a non-answer. <laughs> right, right. Like, for well, me, this film is an attempt, still very crude and very primitive, to approach the complexity of thought of its processes. That is yeah. a non-answer. That sentence 
means nothing. <laughs> Try right. to deconstruct that sentence, and you will get a zero sum. You got nothing out of it. It's it is dry. The film is an attempt, cut out the very crude note, to approach the complexity of thought of its processes. Yeah, I have written sentences like that in said published works. It is there for filler <laughs> because somebody told you you had to say something and there is nothing to be said. Oh, man. Apparently some people have put forth explanations of this as a as a variation of the Orpheus myth, which is sure. Why not? Hey, I, guess. I, I mean, when I say that <laughs> Makes as all, much sense as anything else. Right, when I say <laughs> all the interpretations are trash and ought to be burned, yeah. by that I mean they are all equally valid and also still trash. Like- yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Hey man, believe whatever you want. You could tell me this is like the fucking story of Daedalus and Icarus and like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever you say. I'm sure you can justify it because like you could probably justify any interpretation of this film and like find something in there to grab onto. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's helpful if there's a man and a woman in whatever the thing you're trying to relate it to, but not necessary in any capacity. Fair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This... <sighs> Obviously, it having very little by way of plot uh, maybe makes this movie hard to talk about in the way we often talk about movies. I'm fairly satisfied um, with the way we talked about this movie. But, but I am I am satisfied with how we talked about this movie, and I'm satisfied with having seen this movie. It really Absolutely. is just so interesting to me, uh, the way it plays out and the, the way it's structured. Um, it it had me. It had me. And oh yeah, no, totally. Like, like I said, so many, so many other films that you might put in the same category as this, I would, I would have a visceral reaction to the pretentiousness Absolutely, of it, because or perceived nature, pretentiousness yeah, of it's it. It's very pretentious. Um, but but this one just works so it's, well for it me. It works so well. It uh, doesn't hurt that it's a tight ninety four minutes. Like and yeah, it's ninety four minutes. It's a it is a rambling ninety four minutes because it is right. it is you know what it is, but like right. man, this is the kind of thing that you feel like man, this could have also been a three hour movie. Like thank God it's yeah. not, but it totally could have been, and it would have ruined it. It yeah. would have ruined it. Yeah, but. would have been much worse if it were longer, because just pulling this thread out even more would have right. Yeah. You wouldn't you you know, apparently ninety four minutes was exactly the right amount of time for Renee to say what right. he wanted to say and right. not belabor the point, which is perfect. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we've been talking about the last year at Marinbad, um, directed by, uh, uh, and Renee and yeah, from 1961, it's just a fantastic film. I love it. Uh, yeah. Next week, um, we will be, uh, jumping a decade, a couple decades, uh, and talking about uh, another movie that has uh, some interesting pop culture influence in its life, uh, My Dinner with Andre, the 1981 no. uh, movie about uh, movie from Louis Malle, in which uh, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn have a conversation um, about dinner. <laughs> well, not about dinner, but maybe about dinner, but mostly over dinner. Uh, but yeah, um, looking forward to that. Uh, just you know, it's we love Malle. And we love Wallace uh, Shawn. This is a Malay. Yeah, and we absolutely love Wallace Shawn. One hundred percent. We cannot lose. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the the Onion article about uh, Wallace Shawn taking over? You know, uh, article in that it was an Onion headline, right? But it was 
Wallace Shawn taking over the uh, the James Bond role. Oh, I did not, <laughs> which, but that's amazing. Which I just really think I wish it was an article so they could explore. Wallace Shawn is a devout socialist, and putting putting someone with Wallace Shawn's politics and looks into the James Bond universe <laughs> period is it it a uh, beautiful idea. It's just a beautiful idea that yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, so much looking forward to that. Always, always love Wallace Shawn. So uh, very, uh, very. Interesting. I wonder if I wonder if we'll experience Wallace Shawn in the Criterion Collection again between this and uh, uh, Princess Bride when we get there. I wonder if he's in any. Oh, others. anywhere in between. I don't. Yeah, you got to you got to hit the right the right decade, and it's it's quite possible. Right. I don't feel like we play yeah. around in the seventies and eighties very much in the collection. Honestly well, speaking, I, I feel like he might be in some other uh, Molly work that we might end okay, up watching. Okay, well that I, mean, I don't the, know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I don't actually know. Uh, know for sure what other what other Molly stuff he might be in uh, if he is in anything. Anyway, in any case, still very much looking forward to that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Leon Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. You can find me on Twitter at DMGlass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Cape. Check him out at JonathanCape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.